Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy. We dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. I'm Molly Wood. One thing you tend to hear a lot when you're talking about climate action is, you know, it doesn't matter what personal action I take because what we really need to change is heavy industry or hard to decarbonize sectors or sometimes, you know, just capitalism. Which, fair points all around, and as you hopefully know by now, my approach to this problem is yes, and yes to individual action, and yes to solving big problems too. So this week, let's reassure you that the big problems are getting attention too. And there's a certain type of entrepreneur who literally sets out to find the specific problem that is both difficult and overlooked and not very sexy at all. And that type is this guy. My name is Cody Finke. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Brimstone. And Brimstone is working on getting the CO2 emissions out of the production of cement. So let's start by talking about cement, because this is sort of one of those, this is like one of those climate issues where when people hear about it and find out what a big deal it really is, they're pretty astonished. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> this it's, it's actually, I had a, a, a similar story where I learned that it was a big deal. I became astonished and then I decided that I wanted to work on it. The CO2 emissions associated with cement are basically the same as the CO2 emissions associated with cars. So, you know, if you're the type of person who is concerned about CO2 emissions from driving cars and think that electric vehicles are maybe a good solution and an important solution, then you also ought to be concerned about the CO2 emissions associated with cement because they're really the same size, right? Cars are about 6.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And cement production is responsible for about 5.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And it's an interesting story because cement is different than most greenhouse gas emissions because cement is not just a fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. Burning a fossil fuel is only responsible for about 40% of the emissions associated with producing cement. The other 60% come from the rock itself, right? the chemistry uh, used to make cement. Dig into that a little bit more, no pun intended, about rocks. Um, is it that there is stored car? Am I right in saying it's because there's stored carbon a lot of times in the rock that is released as part of the process of making cement? That's that's right. Yeah. So, like, feel free to geek out here. Yeah. So, um, cement is fundamentally a calcium-based material, and. You know, 150 years ago, uh, we figured out a way to get calcium from this rock called limestone. And the way that we get calcium from limestone is we heat that limestone up really hot, and the limestone releases CO2, leaving behind calcium. Mm -hmm. Because it turns out that the rock limestone is about 50% by weight CO2. And we just need to get rid of that CO2 in order to access that sweet, sweet calcium that we can use to, to make ordinary Portland cement. This is what I was hoping for when I said geek out a little. This yeah, is, yeah. Keep it coming. Yeah. So, okay, so that happens. No one seems to know that. But then as a result, cement specifically uh, in, I mean, obviously roads and 
all of that? Or are we talking the stuff in buildings, embodied carbon as a result of all the buildings that we make out of that cement? Everything, right? So yeah, a couple fun, fun facts about cement, right? So um, uh, cement is the binder. It's like the glue that 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 uh, sticks basically all of the structures we build in the world together, whether that's a building or a bridge or a road or a dam. So we mix that glue with some rocks, basically, and, and water and sand, and that makes concrete, which is the building material. And concrete is actually the most consumed human-made material on the planet. Mm. Uh, so it is enormous, right? We, we consume about 50 billion with a B tons of concrete every year, and we consume about five-ish billion tons of cement every year in order to make that concrete. Wow. And we really only use, you know, it's essentially true that we use one type of cement, right? That's, it's called ordinary Portland cement. 95 plus or even maybe 99% of, of cement is this thing called ordinary Portland cement, mm-hmm. which is that calcium-based material that, we ma- that today we make from limestone. And before I ask you how you are replacing the cement, I want to hear that origin story about what, how you came to want to tackle this problem specifically. Yeah. So uh, I, I've always like, <laughs> geez. So, so I've been concerned with um, environmental issues since I was in high school. I grew up in Seattle and somehow um, I think through freshman year science course, went to watch an inconvenient truth right that that old Al Gore documentary about climate change mm-hmm. and I learned that glaciers were melting right and I looked in Seattle I looked up at Mount Rainier which looms over Seattle and I was like wow that's a really cool thing and that's melting and that was very concerning for you know 14 year old Cody um and it's you know still concerned concerning for a 33 year old Cody but I I've had I've uh, grown deeper concerns than that right but so as I learned more and my thinking got more sophisticated I started being attracted to big environmental problems that have, you know, large social implications, right? They, they impact human quality of life, especially for the most vulnerable people in the world, but also impact, you know, natural world, right? So so animals and plants and, and these things that I think are wonderful and I don't want to go away either. Um, and I, uh, you know, as my you know, as I wanted to work on solving these types of problems, I've, you know, gone through a few different iterations of what I've wanted to work on. And they've all kind of taken the theme of what is a huge problem impacts all of these things, but is not worked on enough. (laughs) So I started with working on wastewater treatment for applications in low income countries, you know, and a similar problem to climate change. And that's huge scale, not worked on enough. And I was in graduate school developing a technology to treat wastewater specifically in low-income countries. And long story short, <laughs> I learned the technology I was developing was not going to be helpful. <laughs> oh. So, uh, yeah. Science, yeah. kind of brutal like that. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was too bad. So I decided that I better stop working on it because um, I would want it to be helpful. So I was kind of milling around different project ideas, and I was lucky enough to go to this talk uh, by a guy named Dave Danielson, who now happens to be the managing director of one of our investors, but that was not the case at the time, uh, nor did we have investors or a company. But, um, I, and, and his talk was titled, I think, White Spaces in Climate Tech, uh, as in like, you know, th- these are things that are huge problems. No one's working on them. I think he was working for, for the Department of Energy at the time. Hmm. 
and it was kind of funny. There's this huge auditorium, and I think there were only like 20 people that attended. Um, oh. and, and like normally, those Department of Energy talks are are really well attended, but this one was you know not about the normal things like energy. This was about like you know fertilizer stuff. We need you, you know? to fix, please. <laughs> it, right. <laughs> it, exactly. So it was kind of appropriate. Like looking back, is like oh, <laughs> that was really kind of a demonstration of how. Uh, no one cares about these huge problems. But one of the things that Dave Danielson talked about was cement. And I was shocked, um, just like I hope that many of the people listening to this podcast will be shocked, that the problem is the same scale as cars. Uh, and, and I went in, you know, sometime later, I went and looked up like how much money is invested in these uh, issues. And I found that per ton of greenhouse gas emissions in transportation, there is about $14 invested in decarbonizing transportation. For cement, per ton of greenhouse gas emission, there is about one cent invested in decarbonizing it. Mm -hmm. But that was exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to be working on. I was like, wow, what could be more cool than a problem like that where like, you know, not many folks are working on. So there's probably still some room for some good ideas. And, you know, from from my failure with the wastewater treatment technology, I kind of developed a, a thesis of like what needs to be true in order to be useful. And the first thing I did was like, okay... We live in the world we live in, which means in order to solve this problem, we need to start a company because that's like sort of the main the main mechanism that new technologies get into the world. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to start a company, then the product you're selling has to either have higher value or be lower cost yeah. with the same value or else it will not spread very far. And if it doesn't spread very far, it doesn't have a big climate impact. The first thing we did is tried to talk to as many customers as we could to figure out like what needed to be true in order to de decarbonize cement. And uh, we kind of came up upon three criteria that we still hold, you know, today. So the first criteria is we said, okay, it has to be the exact same material. You have to make ordinary Portland cement. Okay. And the reason why we came up with that criteria is that we just talked to a ton of structural engineers and they all said, yeah, it's just so risky to build a building out of a new material. Like, we don't want the building to fall down. Right. Neither do you. And I thought about it and I was like, he's right. You know, they're, they're right. I, I don't want the building to fall down. That would be... Um, no, like, so no, and that rules out like a shredded denim composite or an <laughs> algae grown kind of thing. Right. And it's not to say that, you know, those things couldn't be wonderful materials and have some impact. Yeah. But it's just, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with tight timelines. And, yep. um, you yep. know, we don't want to wait to, you know, build one building and then wait around for 40 years to see if it's okay. And then we can build our second building. You know, we want to be, you know, in 40 years, we hope to get a significant chunk of the decarbonization done. <laughs> Not just yep. one building. So, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, that's the, it has to be the same material. Right? The second criteria was that it has to be cost parity or better. Right? So, so that's basically saying like, if we're going to scale fast, then we need global financial institutions to uh, want to make money off of us. Uh, and, and, and that is what allow, can allow us to deploy this technology, you know, at a you know, breakneck pace. Which I should say is like, that's pretty bold. I mean, that's somewhat unusual when you're looking at kind of R&D intensive, you know, capital intensive solutions. It's very often the case that People are forced to say, yeah, it's going to cost more at first and we hope it comes down. Yeah. So to have had that as a starting point is pretty, you know, it's a it's a hill to climb. It, it was. And, it, you know, it's it's we, we have not solved the problem yet. Right. So, uh, just to <laughs> that, be clear, okay. like we, cement has not been <laughs> I'm decarbonized. I'm like, damn, but, out the gate. 
Okay. And, and I should also say it's it's probably an impossible task for like plant number one to be lower cost for anything just because the engineering costs are so high for building something that's never been built before. But we think once we're at scale, you know, certainly be like that's the product we're building, right? It's certainly be lower yeah. cost um, because if it's not lower cost, it's not going to have an impact. And then if it's not going to have an impact, I'm not really interested in working on it. So that's sort of, it's, uh, but, but that, that's the, like our current, you know, our, our, our current modeling says like, yes, this product will be cost parity or better at scale. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we need to be or else we're going to go back to the drawing board. And I, I would encourage other folks to, you know, do the same exercise because I, I, yeah. if it's not cost parity or better, then we kind of have to change the global economic system, which I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea, but it sounds slow. So <laughs> I think that's a bad thing. Yep. All right. And then what's number three? Number three, it has to be substantially lower emissions <laughs> and ideally carbon negative, right? right. And this is a, a, a bit of a, a tricky one because there are so many technologies out there that are, we are lower emissions, pause, if you use clean energy uh-huh. and that, and we wanted to do better than that, right? Because if we were going to build, like we saw this really big moral hazard, right? If we sincerely thought, and we do sincerely think that our process will be lower cost at scale, then I'm pretty confident the forces of capitalism will cause this process to spread, you know, either, you know, somehow spread across the world. Mm-hmm. And if it is lower cost, but higher emissions with conventional energy sources, And that's a problem because I don't know how fast like the energy transition will happen. Yeah. Right. So I'd be really concerned of like, oh, actually we're making the world like a more emissions intensive place. So this was like a big problem. I've worked on previous clean technologies that are quite common that are, you know, when you use clean energy, they're clean. But when you use conventional energy, they are much dirtier than the conventional way of doing things. And that's like a, a big moral hazard that, you know, we fear a lot. So at Brimstone, we talk a lot about making sure that we are lower emissions, significantly lower emissions, and ideally carbon negative, mm-hmm. regardless of the energy source. But those are our three criteria. You see what I mean about these people who don't like small problems? But with Blueprint in mind, Cody and the team have set out to solve it. I'll talk to him about how they're doing it after the break. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. I'm talking with Cody Finke, the founder and CEO of Brimstone. And now it's time to find out how this whole thing works. Okay, so tell me about the process. Yeah. How is this all? How do you do it? Right. So the first thing is that our process uses a different rock as a starting material. So instead of getting... Not limestone. That's right. Instead of getting that calcium from limestone, which contains CO2, we get our calcium from a silicate rock, which I am holding in my hand right now. Uh, He has the rock. We'll put this on Instagram. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. This is not the only rock. (laughs) uh, He has a rock. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Uh, uh, So 
we get our, our, our calcium from a silicate rock, and silicate rocks do not contain CO2. And so we're starting from already 60% better. <laughs> There's no, okay. no CO2 emissions in the rock. It's great. <laughs> so that's, you know, I'll return to lower emissions at the end, but that's how we make the same product, right? And in fact, we actually just got a third party to certify us as making the exact same material. So we just passed what's called the ASTM C150 standard, which is what gives you the rubber stamp and says, yes, this is ordinary Portland cement. And a, a third party indeed certified that we can make ordinary Portland cement from this rock. So we're the first right. ever to do that, which is great. So criteria two, lower cost. Right? Yep. One different rock, two cost. Okay. Yeah. So right now, Cement is made from a combination of two materials. The first material is ordinary Portland cement. That, that's what comes out of a cement plant. And the second material is the waste from burning coal in coal-fired power plants. That's fly ash. Okay. Ew. So this is where, you know, <laughs> yeah, t tell people to who are God, only interested in energy. That concrete story <laughs> just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. And there's some, you know, some interesting accounting things where somehow international governing bodies decided that the waste products from burning coal to make electricity are zero emissions. But that's a, that's a whole different uh, story. I'll just leave that for <laughs> as an exercise to the listener to look up. Uh, but unfortunately for the cement industry, but luckily for Brimstone, coal fire power plants are becoming scarce or, or, they're, or they're not growing as quickly. I would like them to grow mm -hmm. even slower. But that, and that's because other technologies are cheaper for making electricity, right? You know, that we, we are having less coal. Meanwhile, cement is just chugging along and increasing with population. And this has led to cost increases in cement production, right? So what used to be basically a free waste product from this other industry mm -hmm. now has the same value as ordinary Portland cement in the market. And in fact, in the United States, we routinely import this stuff from other countries. So where I sit in California, we ship uh, the waste products from coal-fired power plants from China over to California in order to build our buildings with. It's a bizarre. Wow. It's a bizarre thing. Thereby only increasing the emissions of an already emission intensive industry. That's right. Yeah. But mm -hmm. just like you don't need to make so the, and this thing, it's actually it's broadly called supplementary cementitious materials or SCM. Okay. So just like you don't need to make Portland cement from limestone, you also don't need to make SCM from burning coal, right? You can make SCM from anything that has the right elements. And it turns out that our favorite rock <laughs> happens to be have all of the elements to produce both ordinary Portland cement and SCM. Oh. Which means that our new process is a huge market simplification. Right. Instead of having to import fly ash from China, you can you could just use our process and make both components of cement from the same process in the same location. So that's why we think it'll be lower cost at scale. So, okay, I'm gonna, I wanna, yeah, finish part three, and then I wanna go back and dig into some of these pieces individually. Fascinating. Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. So, so part three is, right, the emission store, right? So we already talked about how our rock has no CO2 in it, so that's that helps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we do have one waste product from our process, and that waste product is magnesium compounds, so typically magnesium hydroxides, but there's a few different magnesium compounds. And that's just, you know, goes into our, our tailings pile on site at the plant. And those magnesium compounds, they 
react with CO2 in the air just passively, so just sitting there. They'll react with CO2 in the air to form magnesium carbonate, which is permanently sequestered mineralized CO2. So by making this waste product, right, we are just sequestering CO2 out of the air. So if we were to use, you know, conventional fuels, we're typically carbon negative. If if we, if, you know, the energy transition happens as fast as we all hope it does, then we'll only have to use clean energy and we'll be way carbon negative. Right. right. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the thing is, okay, great. This process meets all three of our criteria. It's worth our time to work on until, you know, until we're done or we find out that doesn't meet this criteria. How... Did you discover this? Yeah. So it definitely helps to be a chemist. Because it does sort of feel like if there's this magic rock sitting there, how come no one started doing that before? Yeah. So the other thing, just to make it even sillier, is this is def- it's not, it's definitely not a magic rock. This is actually the, makes up like 50% of the Earth's crust. So it's like. Okay. That was one of my questions is how abundant <laughs> is that rock? Y- yeah, it's like the most abundant thing ever. Okay. It's um like it's commonly just mined for rock. Huh. Uh, so if you need like gravel for your driveway or you know to make concrete or whatever, it's often this rock because it's just a common rock. So how do we come up to this? So I would say a combination of the right skills and 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 really good timing. Uh, mm-hmm. So luck. So you know helps to be a chemist, right? These are chemistry problems. Happen to be a chemist, so that's that's sort of the right skills, and then that's sort of the right place. Kind of thing, and then the right time uh, is the cement industry has basically been doing the same thing for 150 years, mm-hmm. and uh, it's the industry has been you know racing to the bottom on price. And when you do the same thing for 150 years, a great way to rather increase your profit is by stopping doing like major material R and D developments, right? And that happens with basically every commodity product. And then some big external force kind of happens and starts shaking everything up. And that big external force in this case was actually fracking. Right? <laughs> so fracking made natural gas cheap. And then we you know, invented the combined cycle natural gas power plant. And those things together made it so we have this, had this other low cost way to make electricity. And suddenly there wasn't this free source of, of supplementary cementitious materials. Right. And that story has only kind of materialized over the last few decades. And that's not, you know, really enough time for, uh, you know, these big industries to restart an R&D department or, or, or anything else. Right. So on some level, it is that, to, to sort of simplify there, on some level, it's that first, they couldn't be bothered because the thing that works, works. And then second, there just wasn't enough pressure. That's right. Yeah. And and there's this totally external thing. And if you're a big cement company Mm -hmm. and you have all this, you know, all all of these assets working on limestone quarries and all this technology in there, there's very little incentive to try to, you know, make something else work and you don't have the resources anyway. And then, you know, we happen to come along at the right time and Dave Danielson told us about cement and we're like, okay, we have no idea. We're just scientists. Like, let's, you know, where else is calcium? (laughs) And, you know, it it kind of gave, you know, sort sort of the economic conditions to make this process make sense, right? That's a value on supplementary cementitious materials had not been around that that long. And we were lucky enough to be the first people to put it all together. And I think that's really all it is. That's amazing. Okay, so now tell me a little about the process, like to the extent that people will still understand. It sounds like it similar in that there's a bunch of heat applied to rocks. That's about, yeah, that's that's about as far as my <laughs> creation knowledge goes. That's right. So right in the conventional process, 
you take limestone, you grind it up into a powder, and then you do one heating step, which releases the CO2, and then you do a second heating step, which makes the cement. Mm -hmm. in, our, in our process, we take this rock, we grind it up to a powder, and we do a leaching step like they do in you know almost every mining process, um, where we basically put some liquid that reacts with the rock, and it extracts the calcium from that rock. Yep. And then we take that calcium and we do a uh, first heating step where instead of releasing CO2, we regenerate our leach agent to be, go be you know used again for new rock. And uh, that leaves behind the calcium. And then we send that calcium into a second heating step, which makes the ordinary Portland cement. And let's you 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 went by that pretty quickly, but I feel like we should put a finer point on the fact that you have received this certification pretty recently, right? Within the last like five or six weeks. That's right. That says, yeah, no, the stuff we're making is the exact same stuff. That's right. Yeah. So like that must've been a good day. It was a good day. You're playing it cool, but that's a good day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, uh, we, you know, we had our own lab data, so we knew it was coming, but it's a, a relief to, to see it happen. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And, and to like to put clear, to, to make that clear, right. That there's, um, before us, there were two ways to make ordinary Portland cement. The first one is what we've talked about, which is making it from limestone. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of CO2. The second one is making it from a rock called gypsum, which is the other place where there's calcium. And if you make it from gypsum, it makes sulfuric acid, which is a bit worse than CO2. So, so it's not a it's not a good solution. Yeah. But it, you know, it, it was used industrially for about. 60 years. Mm -hmm. So those are the two processes, right? You could either make CO2 or you can make sulfuric acid, pick your poison. <laughs> uh, and now we have, we are the, you know, the only company to make a third process, right? We are the third process to make ordinary Portland cement. And instead of making these like sort of crazy chemicals, our waste product sequesters CO2. And at what point in the kind of R&D cycle, did you discover that? Like, was that just an added, holy crap? So Moment? <laughs> it's actually funny. <laughs> we, uh, my, my co-founder Hugo and I, we knew that from pretty early on um, because okay. there's all there's all this literature. So, so cement itself actually also sequesters CO2, but it doesn't sequester as much as it emits, right? There's still a huge net Got CO2 it. emissions, but cement itself sequesters CO2. So, you know, we had known about this phenomenon of, you know, rock things <laughs> sequestering co2 and when we and and we realized that you know the two major elements will do this are calcium and magnesium and we knew we made a a, a decent amount of magnesium waste product but uh, at, at first we didn't talk about it because we were worried that like it would be a distraction um or that you know you know people would think it'd be like too good to be true so we just say yeah we make this magnesium waste product and then one of our investors a guy named cooper rinsler actually was like doesn't that sequester co2 and we we're like yes it does yeah this is like um, it was definitely he said what i would have said is you should tell people that yeah <laughs> yeah he did and now we tell people it so we're telling you and told other people uh, so yeah it's so it's so interesting and vaguely upsetting to think about how many things that we're doing just because we always have and just because there's been no pressure not to. You know, you sort of have this idea that given the opportunity, like, of course, people would try to find a better way to do something. But in fact, 150 years of cement production in exactly the same way for no real good reason, except that it worked fine. 
yeah, has you know led us to this point where really like, and it's not to take away from anything that you have done. You are obviously clearly brilliant and have worked really hard at this, and we're really intentional about it. But like, it was doable. Y- yeah. Well, thank you. I, I, I absolutely it was doable. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're working in a white space where there aren't that many people working on. So I think like in those places, there's like fairly you know reasonably obvious low hanging fruit to pick, I guess. So where are you, you know, let's talk about speed for a minute um, and scale with respect to John Doerr. Where <laughs> are you in the commercialization timeline? Yeah. So we still have some pretty big to-do list items, right? So right now we are, you know, working on design and, 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 and build out of our pilot plant, um, which will be, you know, sort of the first um the first actual freestanding continuous plant that models this economic system uh, that will be economic at scale. Mm-hmm. And as we've said, other places, that's going to be outside of Reno, uh, Nevada. And then from there, we'll scale up. And the to-do list items include uh, building our first full-scale cement plant and then uh, building 3,000 more to decarbonize the industry. It's not a short road ahead of us, um, but it definitely feels like a worthwhile road. No pun intended. Am I right? Road. Get it? Okay. So I know it can be frustrating to hear about solutions that are so cool and innovative and then you know they're going to take five or ten years or so to be widely commercially available. But I still think it's important to know that it's all happening at once because the story is never actually over. I should note here that when it comes to tailwinds, one other thing Cody mentioned is that the Inflation Reduction Act includes something like $6 billion in capital to be put toward heavy industry, including cement. And the Department of Energy has set up loan programs to finance things like, you know, developing all new ways to make something as critical and widespread as cement. And it is all progress toward the goal of a cleaner, healthier future for all of us. Together, we can get this done. Oh, and hey, if you're a scientist or an entrepreneur looking for your own white space opportunity in climate tech, Cody told me the other topics from the talk included aluminum, fertilizer, steel, and out-of-the-box ideas like genetically engineered crops and who knows what other sci-fi concepts might be in your brain. And spoiler, I've got at least two of those topics covered in future episodes. That's it for this episode of Everybody in the Pool. Thank you so much for listening. Email me your thoughts and suggestions to in at everybodyinthepool.com and find all the latest episodes and more at everybodyinthepool.com, the website. And if you want to become a subscriber and get an ad-free version of the show, hit the link in the description in your podcast app of choice. Thank you to those of you who already have. I appreciate you. See you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.